0: Vietnam just entered WTO then, and we all expected robust growth in the economy, which could be a good catalyst for corporate performance and stock prices. However, the purpose but that year, a correlation to the crisis in the U.S. starting from the Lehman Brothers issue. And it was the first time the Vietnam stock market showing some correlation with the U.S. market. And you know, my investment turned from a profit of 2.5 times to a loss of 50% in a year. The fact was that I couldn't sell to cut loss, so nobody wanted to buy when the bubble burst.
1: Hello, fellow risk-takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big... You've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Tao Quinn. Tao, are you ready to rock?
0: Yes, I'm ready.
1: All right. Let me tell the audience a little bit about you. Tao has 15 years of experience in financial service and investment industry. She was the investment portfolio manager of two European funds with $280 U.S. million of assets under management. Prior to that, she worked as a financial analyst, like I was, and research manager, like I was also, for leading brokerage houses in Vietnam. She started out with a university tuition loan to create the asset of knowledge, and it is this knowledge that has given her financial security. She believes to diversify across various asset classes and allocates about half of her wealth to investing in the stock market. Tao holds a master's degree in international business from Schema Business School in France and an MBA from the European Management Education Center in Vietnam. Tao, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life.
0: All right, thank you, Andrew, for your introduction. Actually, I am not only good in investment, but I'm also an independent investor and um, besides investment, I coach and train SME business owners and startups about financial management. I'm now working on my own business, just starting, and uh, still keeping my interest in investing. I have rich experience in the Vietnamese stock market, so if you want to invest or do business in Vietnam, feel free to contact me, and we may find a good chance for cooperation.
1: Fantastic. And the Vietnamese market is what we call a frontier market for most of our listeners, which means yeah. there's, there's unique risks as well as opportunities. So yeah, right. now we know an expert. All right. Fantastic. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story.
0: Uh, okay. Um, my story... Um Back in the years of 2007, around 10 years ago, when I was still naive in investing, it was one of my biggest personal investment at that time. I invested in a Vietnamese startup Broker's house then. The founders of this company were successful entrepreneurs who had rich experience in leading other big financial institutions in Vietnam. The CEO was an uh, ex-director of, of uh, American Merrill Lynch. Other members in the management team were sought up a high profile and come from abroad. The information was transparent and uh, its financial statement was audited by Big Four. I mean that the company has good financing potential, network advantage and um, management capability. And yes, Right after inception, this company could get a few big contracts with um, big partner in investment banking, as well as dealt with some promising deep wealth management accounts. So with this lucrative prospect, I got crazy buying the shares at 40 times 12 months P.E., ignoring on valuation principles And you soon know why, because there is a context for that then. Actually, the company's performance has been quite okay so far. company listed on the exchange in uh, 2015, and uh, its profits has gradually grown each year. But compared with other brokerage houses in Vietnam, it is still a small player operating in its niche market. And in fact, initially, this investment has been a big success because just two months after my investing, the stock price went up approximately 18%, or well, not that right, but I didn't sell because I expected higher. And about some weeks later, there was someone asking to buy my stocks at about 2.5 times my cost price. You know, a return of 2.5 times, just after a few months. You hardly imagine it in a normal situation. But I still didn't realize my profit. Why? I Back to the context, uh, the Vietnamese stock market then was quite young, with only 7 years old since its inception. But 2007 was the booming year of the market. The VN index surged from around 600 in late 2006 to its peak of uh, around uh, 1179 in March 2007. Several companies were trading at even uh, 70 times PE and 100 times PE. It's what a bubble, but at that point of time, I was not much aware of the danger of a bubble. Everybody was extremely excited with the stock market. Everywhere from the street to the office, at the airport or at home, I heard people talking, chatting about profitability of investing in the stock market. An amazing return of double or triple was quite normal. People were doubtful, but also excited and they expect stock prices keeping increasing and increasing. Now you know why I didn't sell my investment at that amazing return in just a short time and at that high P. because I was greedy then and I lack of experience. I doubted it might be a bubble, but I thought it was not the time the bubble burst. Vietnam just entered WTO then and we all expected robust growth in the economy, which could be a good catalyst for corporate performance and stock prices. However, the purpose but that year, a correlation to the crisis in the U.S. starting from the Lehman Brothers issue. And it was the first time the Vietnam stock market showing some correlation with the U.S. market. And you know, my investment turned from a profit of 2.5 times to a loss of 50% in a year. The fact was that I couldn't sell to cash loss, so nobody wanted to buy when the bubble burst. And at that time, the liquidity was very low, even in the exchange, while my investment in a startup was just OTC. I really felt regret with this investment, and decided to ignore it. Yeah. Anyway, um, at that time, I comforted myself with the theory of buying and holding. I concerned myself that the stock price would recover one day. Yes, it did recover. But nine years later on, I sold my investment in 2016 at the break-even price. So although eventually I didn't suffer from a nominal loss, but I had a big opportunity loss for not selling at the right time and keeping it for too long without awareness of the bubble. Yes, that's my story.
1: Wow. And so if you could summarize what you learned from that, what are the key learnings that you've taken from that?
0: Well, I think that the first reason is be aware of a bubble. Uh, The first lesson is be aware of the bubble. Typically in a bubble, the market sentiment is very optimistic. However, we should be careful with that kind of positive context. People are getting crazy and we may get crazy with them too. Yes,
1: that's the first lesson. Mm, yep. Let me, uh, I'll summarize what I take away from your story and then let me know if, uh, if I've missed anything. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing I take away from the story is that the big picture matters. So a lot yeah. of times when we're investing, we get caught up in the small picture about the company and about the, maybe the industry. But I've heard over and over is that, you know, some great companies and some great people and great investments can get crushed if there's a shift in the industry or if there's a bubble and that's crashing, you can't overcome that. So I think that that's something that's uh, critical. And of course, we have fund managers around the world who are constantly looking at the concept of flow of funds and things like that. I've had some on this show, in fact. Um, The second thing, uh, now you mentioned something in the middle of, or towards the end, about OTC. Was this share trading OTC or on the full market at the time when it listed? Or well, I guess before it listed was when the yeah. crash happened.
0: Um, the crash happened before it's listed because it. It, it listed in a uh, twenty c fifteen, while the crash happened right in the years I invested. Got it in twenty o seven.
1: Yeah. Okay. So for the listeners out there, some most of them know what OTC market means, but that's the over-the-counter market. So if a company has has issued shares, but it has not listed them on the stock market, there tends to be an over-the-counter market where you could. So when she mentioned that she had somebody offer to buy her shares at 2.5 her times her cost, that was in the OTC market where she was getting a verbal offer from somebody that she could have sold it through the OTC market or through this, let's say, less formal uh, stock market. All right. Okay. And then the other thing that uh, that's interesting about you know, Vietnam is very unique as a frontier market. What we see in most frontier markets is that there's not a lot of liquidity. In particular, there's a small number of companies at the top of the market that have liquidity. And then there's a huge number of companies down below that just don't have liquidity. And the problem is, is it liquidity really, 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 really matters when you want to sell. And when you want to sell, the problem is, as you've mentioned, uh, that there were no buyers. So it was down 50% and there still were no buyers. So ladies and gentlemen, very important to always remember about liquidity. As a general rule, I try not to invest in something that doesn't have a million dollars a day in average daily turnover. And I watched the, the volume charge, particularly in Frontier as well as other markets, because I want to make sure also, if, even if it says a million dollars, was that just one week spike in activity or is it consistent? And the last thing that I took away is the idea, of, well, actually, there's, there's two more things. The second and the last thing is the idea of how we change the reason why we own a stock. I originally bought this because I like the management, I yes. like the future, but then over time we change the reason why we hold it. And so I'm a long-term investor and I'm going to get this money back. Now, uh, an, a really experienced investor from the UK who I interviewed, um, you know, he mentioned that that's a red flag. When on an investment committee or an investment group or when you're sharing your investments, when you're changing the reason why you got into this stock, then that's something that has to go to a higher level of kind of consideration. But the last thing that's interesting about this is that You talked about opportunity loss, and what I see in this case, and it happens all the time, I bought it at 100, it went down to 50, I'm not selling it until it gets back to 100. So this is one of the many uh, behavioral biases that we have where we want to regain the money that we lost on that stock. Now, of course, there's tax implications in some places around the world, where if you actually realize a loss, then you have to pay an additional tax. And so there, but let's take away the tax consideration for just a moment. And let's just discuss that. And what I like to say is unrealized losses, which is what this was. Let's say you bought it at 100 and now it's down at 50. The 50 that it's gone down is what we would call an unrealized loss. What I like to say is unrealized losses are real. And what do I mean by that is that, you know, Another way that I like to look at this is to ask the question, if I didn't own this stock today, knowing what I know now, would I buy it today for my portfolio? Now, if your answer is yes, then just keep holding it. But if your answer is no, then it may make sense to let go, take the loss, and then allocate that. Because think about it, that 50 that you have remaining, there's you know 100 different potential stocks that you may find interesting that you could put that money in. And the fact is, is that the probability of the stock market going up, that particular stock going up may be much higher than the one that you're currently holding. So I like to say unrealized losses are real. And I also like to say the idea is if I didn't own this today, would I, knowing what I know now, would I buy it today? And if, you know, understanding those things will help us to, to kind of always be evaluating our portfolio. What do you think about that? Anything you'd add to that?
0: Yes, I totally agree with you. Uh, Actually in Vietnam, we don't have a tax uh, if we have unrealized loss. But yes, for the global market, we are concerned about it. Mm -hmm. And I want to, um, well, as a point to that, because um, the Vietnamese stock market now is more liquid. But because my investment back in 10 years ago, so it's very uh, low liquidity. And for um, the liquidity, is very important. But the average trading amount still depends on the, you are an individual investor or the fund managers of a big fund. Because sometimes the investment in the small company will get more profitability than in the big cap companies.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so now, based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate?
0: Well, I think that keep learning and do careful research for your investment. Okay. And uh, be disciplined with the valuation.
1: Okay, and so, uh, I like that one. Be disciplined with the valuation. When it gets super high, nothing wrong with realizing a little bit of gain. Yeah, and sometimes I like to think in halves. So recently I was looking at a portfolio that I'm advising on and we looked at some correlations to the US down market and we saw a couple stocks that have pretty high correlations to US down market and you know we think that US could be going down, you know, pretty hard in 2019. So then yeah. but then there was people I was talking to said, "Well, do we have to sell the whole thing?" I said, "No, we can sell half of it." And then sell 50% of the position. And then from there, you know, then think about it. And then you, you've already done a step of kind of letting go of that story that you're in. And that's, that can help us to overcome a behavioral bias. So
0: yeah.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to ask you, you're the first one on my worst investment ever to be asked this question. But because I love the concept of trying to reach our goals, I want to ask you, the question What is your number one goal you want to achieve in the next 12 months?
0: Well, um, I'm starting working on my own business for um, the children, I mean, that a financial and business education for children. And um, I want to focus on this project for the next year, and I really want it to be a, a good success.
1: Fantastic. All right. Well, there you have it, listeners. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Tal, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for our audience?
0: Well, thank you, Andrew, for having me here to tell my story. And thank you to all of you, the listeners. I hope my story will help you improve the investment performance to some extent. And I wish all of you the best in the new year.
1: Fantastic. I'm sure it will help a lot of people. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow,
0: and protect our wealth, fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.